Hello, my name is Maya Shiasan, and welcome to my podcast, Finding the Undercommons, my Africana Studies senior capstone project. For this episode, I'm in conversation with Felicia Deneau, an Africana grad student who was one of my TAs my very first semester in Intro to Africana Studies, and is now one of the TAs for a class I'm in my very last semester. I've had the immense pleasure of really connecting with her this semester, and I'm so excited to continue after I graduate. She brings in so many important points and questions that I'm excited to be able to share here. I hope you all enjoy. If you could introduce yourself, that would be lovely. My name is Felicia Deneau. I'm a fifth year doctoral candidate in Africana Studies at Brown University. I, just until last week, worked with the PD Green program as a volunteer coordinator. Uh, for Rhode Island. And so organizing community members and students that went into local facilities um, under the Department of Corrections to support educational programming of all kinds. Um, and so I just stopped that role, yeah, last week. And I'm a mother, a friend involved in abolitionist organizing. Um, I'm from Arlington, Massachusetts. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. I, okay. I was thinking I, so I've heard from um, Angel, the, uh, my section TA in Blues People about, she had mentioned the Black Critique class. So I wanted to start there and ask, I don't really know much about it. Um, so I would love to ask like, what sparked it? What did you intend for it to be? What do you think it is? Yeah. What do you want for it? Um, if you know how it's changed in the past few years? Great question. Um, and so I would say maybe the primary stewards of the core, or at least like um, Kristen May and Connie McNair wanted to do some kind of independent study with Dr. Anthony Bogues, who the three of us had taken an intro Africana theory class with, which is required for the Africana doctorate. And we knew we wanted some kind of sustained engagement that was similar to the class, but we wanted to focus on a very, or what we were identifying as a particular strain of black radical critique uh, that I think really centers around all of our appreciation and investment in Sylvia Winter's work. And so, yeah, it essentially it was like a syllabus that we built not on the fly, but we really pivoted based on the questions that preceding readings would throw up into the air. And we went from literature, we did some literature, some poetry, some philosophy, standard critical theory, but essentially it was to maybe find a critical strand within the critical strand of Africana theory. Um, so there was a lot of Fanon and Winter for literature. There was Morrison, um, Gail Jones, but yeah, essentially this idea of, uh, of, of critique, the practice of critique as a revolutionary modality is very important to all of our projects. And winter, we feel like stages an intervention in the way critique can be done through form, through her citational library, <laughs> it's just wild. And so in part, the class also is about the citational world, I think, that winter comes out of. 
at least that's how that was my interest and not to say the class was not limited to winter by any by any means but for me she was really the um I don't know the the vortex of <laughs> that puts it all into into relation um and so we started with her and then you kind of peel back and see what is she pulling on and um and then for contemporary writings what what did she allow and things like that but uh, I think, yeah, overall it was a, we wanted an opportunity for really intense, really focused um, study of like, yeah, almost a subterranean, even though these are like noted thinkers. So I don't wanna say like, these are the, but it, it was something about this, this, this form of critique that was really compelling to all of us. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of how it, it came about. And uh, then Dr. Bogues took it up after we did the independent study. He took it up and made it an actual class offering. And we got to visit after the first um, semester and talk to everyone. And I think that's also what people drew out of it is this question of form. Like all the people we took up push form to its limit. Like what is the essay after winter? And like, what is the novel after Morrison? And uh, so that was an interesting conversation we had. And, and then I, I remember saying in that conversation, I always say this about winter. And I think this idea of black critique is it really refuses. It's the thinkers that refuse convenient solidarities or easy solidarities or um, the low hanging fruit analytically. And so for example, someone like winter sees Darwin and Columbus and Fanon in this critical you know, knowledge genealogy, these, these moments of, hu of human rupture. And so it's like, what to think Columbus? And she, you know, accounts for the oversight underside of what he inaugurates, but to think Columbus, Darwin, Fanon as a kind of genealogy, that's, that does not happen. That you have to refuse certain, I mean, um, you know, seductions about how we're supposed to do analysis or who we're supposed to draw from or how we you know stitch things together so I think black critique is also about that it is about refusing low-hanging fruit refusing easy citational libraries yeah so that was rambling but it was really it was great because it it's very rarely do you see an independent study become a kind of departmental mainstay and that is what we've seen. And then because it has this ethic of being open and Dr. Bogues is constantly wanting to hear how people are, he's actually writing an entire thing on critique. So that, that framework comes from him and it's something he's interested in. But um, yeah, so no, he's open to incorporating things. So it's really neat to see it to move and, and become this, I don't know, anchor that in, in Africana's course offerings. Sorry, I'm just writing notes down of different things that I want to ask you about because there's so much there. Also, you're definitely not rambling. Thank you. I like, thank you for sharing all of this. Oh, I'm trying to think of where I want to start. I think I'm, I'm, I would first love to hear more about your thoughts on or conceptualization of, I think you use language of critique as like a revolutionary practice or thread. And I think I'm, I'm really, I, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts more on that as well. And how you see that as different from, um, well, in the under commons, there's, I 
focus primarily on like the intro um, and the second chapter on the university and the undercommons. And they talk about like critique in the undercommons as it's like a critique of critique, um, critique yeah. as this like professional practice of where can I poke holes and the critical intellectual as um, a professionalization of, of criticizing the university without actually going at like the foundations. Right, um, and that preserves, the critique preserves the relationship. Yes, and so I'm, I also would love to hear your thoughts on what you, how you see the difference between these two forms of critique. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing question in critical theory itself. And I would say my own project is not, I don't think it's a stance that emerges from this place of critique as we're defining it in the class. Um, so that's all to say I've absorbed some of the critique of critique. Um, but I think what we were doing in this class and what a, a sense of black critique could do is, I mean, looking at, at winter and that, that idea of um, refusing convenient solidarities. I mean, it, it, it implodes. So it's like a kind of form of critique that I don't know, it re it re initiates the terms of knowledge itself, which sounds so grand, but I, I I use Winter and I only feel comfortable talking about Winter in the terms of black critique because I think she's the only one that um, does anything that really lies outside of the Western history of critique. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're like there's a class at Brown on the history of critique. And so this is not anything new, but I think with Winter, there's um, I think Winter in person and as an intellectual, someone that never got tenure, someone who has told us the form, the form that she pursued is what prevented her from publication, but it was the form that did a lot of the work, the intellectual. So like, they, like I said, the essay in her hands or, um, so she refused the university in ways that people that are launching a critique of critique have not refused the university. <laughs> and I think that has something to say about this black critique and it's this underlife that I'm talking about where it is, it is, it does come, I think, from real undercommons in certain ways. Now she was at Stanford. And so that is like, that is a whole institutional ecosystem. So, you know, not to split hairs between being at Stanford and getting tenure, but you know, those are, there is something meaningful about where Winter wrote from, like socially as a Caribbean uh, thinker, as someone that, yeah, evaded institutional institutionality. Fanon is similar, he's a big focal point. So I guess the people we did focus on had uh, their critiques didn't do that critique to preserve the relationship thing because there wasn't a relationship necessarily to preserve in the way that we all now have inherited a corporate university where keynotes pay dividends and you know that it's a whole economy unto itself. I think some of the, the thinkers in Black critique, it is the life that they led that distinguishes it from other intellectual enterprises. And I don't, I don't think that's sufficient because what they do um, in those chapters is, is pretty robust in terms of 
linking the prison and the university and this professionalization as the privatization of, of the social being. And so it's a very robust critique. And I'm not gonna say the lives they lived is like the grounds for a new, but I think that that is something, that's something that we were hinting around. There's something about the submerged terms that winter resuscitates and there's something about stakes and there's something about um yeah i don't know life as she said i, I recently talked about her book manuscript black metamorphosis and she, there's something about life itself you know she's like marxism gets at exploitation but it doesn't get at this for her, she's working through her relationship to Marx and it's really beautiful because she, you know, works with him so closely and wants to see him to his limit and then make that departure, which the rest of her work does. But she's like, there's something about life itself that's not getting attended to with these terms. And so I kept coming back to this idea of life itself and that kind of opens onto her cultural work, but yeah, I don't know. So that's all very insufficient. But I guess with Black critique is, yeah, there's something about who these people were in relation to all of the great thinkers that we we have and can rely on. But also like, like she creates new language. So does Fanon. Like you can tell people that like after them, language itself is not the same because you can see how people speak. And like we all just sound like we're mimicking a lot of, them. but um, so there's something in in all of that. I think black critique was attending to, and that's why we turned to like film and poetry and all of these, yeah, these things. But for me personally, I don't see like I don't necessarily see myself as moving from critique. I think that, um, or maybe I, I mean I guess I could, but there's something I'm trying to do what Winter does, which is really like make it impossible to speak on dominant terms like i want to make like their terms their historiography like irrelevant which means you have to like <laughs> um she i don't know she does that base building that theoretical base building which i also think black critique is is about but yeah so i would say it's about this like this hidden relate like resuscitating this hidden relation it's about form it's about a relationship to language but it's also strictly about like a revolutionary commitment to, or a kind of, so it's not like liberal theorists, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a good question. Yeah, I, I would love to hear more about like, you're saying you're trying to do this similar work of winter of, of, of base building and I, I feel like it's, I also know that I'm an undergrad, this is, <laughs> there, there's a lot more I think intellectual work to be done that you have done that I have not but I, I feel like I find it similar to to grasp it all in words there's so much and oh my brain is just popping but I would love to hear more about like how are you in your work trying to navigate and and do something similar to what winter is doing and how you are navigating being in the university and like abolitionist praxis and what that looks like for you navigating this tension of 
and it sounds like you do identify with the tension of like being in but not of the university um and yeah how you're navigating that and what that looks like questions tensions things that come up yeah yeah i think well, I, I, we can all only aspire to be winter. So I'm not saying that I'm like, or aspire to anyone that we think is doing some kind of like, you know, pioneering stuff. Um, but I think what I see in her project, in her work, in her project, her you know, life project is, um, for her, it's like this, literally she rewrites the history of the category of knowledge. And then for me, I'm, interested in doing that with war. And so I would like after my project, I think black people have already done this. So I'm a curator of conversations that have been happening for 500 years, but I would like war to be, to dis disassemble after my project. I would like it to be very difficult to speak about war um, without talking about the Black diaspora, which it is entirely possible to do now. In fact, you know, we very rarely are included in any kinds of conversations about what war is, what it has been, what it will be. And so for her, I think it's knowledge. If there were any category I would associate, it would be knowledge, you know, with an attention to how knowledge structures, how violence is distributed and all of that stuff. Um, and for me, learning from her method. So how she actually mobilizes history as evidence and theory and yeah, where she searches for information. And so I'm, I'm trying to not mimic those but learn from, from all of those, um, I don't know, practices that she developed to route, his, to route war as a, as a category. Like, I don't want it to be as stable as it is, even for Black people. And we're like, oh, we're at war. Okay, like, what is a war and how does it manage how the world is organized? You know, even people that say domestic war to refer to the United States and its carceral system, to me, you're just say, you're rehabilitating war itself. You are actually reinscribing that wars happen to people over there and then domestic needs to qualify what happens at home. And I'm black people, if we like look at us as a unit, well, we know that the nation state can't, and we all have this critique of the nation, but I'm like, then why do we call it domestic war when we're talking about policing? So even when we are getting to the, like we are living in an internal state of war here, we still have to safeguard for our analysis, like the domestic. And that really intrigues me because, because you need to save war as a category and war if you, if you just say, oh, we're at war here, it seems like a metaphor. And so what I'm really trying to do is build out how war, how black people, the relationship between uh, that black people have experienced with violence is part of what produces war powers itself. And so I'm trying to find this line between slave powers, the ability to slave, enslave someone and war powers. And so this is all to say that, um, I want to create a new horizon or not create. I want to see, I want for myself, I need to see a different horizon. And I think Winter did as well. She's like, there's something that we're not doing, we're not conceiving of correctly when it comes to how the idea of the human, like where did the human come from? It's like, you know, and she that's what she does. She takes us through 
the actual emergence of the figure of the human, but she ties it to this knowledge order. And then she ties that to this history of violence. And because if the, if the fundamental categories are so corrupt, we're never going to be able to you know, see. And so I think war does something like that, where why do we call what we do the same thing as what they've done to us? Why do we call them liberation wars? Like, what is it about war that names something you know, it's, it's obviously a name for a kind of force. But so like, I just wanna be very particular about all these things because then I think we can get to another place where we understand human consciousness's relationship to violence. And that's really where I wanna go. And I think that's winter, like I have this trilogy in my mind, it would be like war, energy, power, or something like, like those are the three categories that I'm really interested in, or not power, maybe war, energy, and then like a third something love <laughs> but um, i think that uh, yeah there's something about our most fundamental categories that need some attention i don't know so winter has taught me how to do that and then in terms of the university this is a very good point because i just think that in the undercommons it's so brilliant how they focus on the tactic of narrating your own relationship to the university as this um, naming, it's like the land acknowledgement. It's kind of this absolution. So the critique becomes the way you absolve yourself. Um, so I'm like very much done doing that. And I don't even like the I'm in, but not of. I think all of these little distinctions are making us feel better and i don't think we need to do that like i think that <laughs> um uh, maybe we do i mean i think we do have to have language to declare like how we see ourselves in relation to, to the university and it's more than language they are strategies of like stealing from the but you can't declare that you Anyone that really steals things, not saying that I do or don't, but cannot declare that they steal. If you're a good thief, you know you're not doing that. Like, I don't know. So I think there are these, even in the critique of the critique of the critique, there are these gestures that are part of the thing that's being critiqued. So then it becomes this like, you know, goodness. Um, and so I guess what I wanna do, and I work very closely with Dr. Joy James, I have, and. Uh, we talk a lot about this and we did a podcast together where I interviewed her about this very question, but she essentially like thinks about the university or warns us about how the university becomes a kind of factory and then black life becomes the raw data or the raw material that we churn and then, you know, and there was pushback about that, like, well, what, what about teaching? What about these, like, you know, these these other moments and spaces and corners and nooks and crannies of the university. Uh, so I, I appreciated both. But I think with all of that, I just try to, instead of narrating my relationship, I really do try to think about Dr. James's warning about the, the factory model. Um, and so I just try to make decisions that obviously not stage a strike because I can't. So I guess I try to make decisions that um, 
refuse to use Black people as raw data. And I don't know what that means exactly, but I just, this, she is a, like a little light. So but the things that I know are, I'm, I'm done narrating the, my inness but not ofness because I think after reading the undercommons that that is part of the charade and that's part of the, the reproduction of the relationship. I'm learning where silence is the more effective weapon because the university is always asking you to speak on it, towards it, to it, blah, blah, blah. And, and that whole thread on stealing that I was talking about. So like, what, what, what don't you declare? So there's like a whole, you know, the things that are just off the record. <laughs> so I guess if anybody, if, if we're all to have these criminal relationships in the university, there's a lot of stuff that's off the record that, yeah, and that secrecy is a big part of just Black revolt anyway. So I guess there's there are those parts. And that's why I'm like, anyone that's like, I steal from the university, I'm like, no, you don't. Because <laughs> there ain't no way that you <laughs> just, uh so there's that, there's that. Um, and I've learned recently, and I've learned from winter and I've learned from just like the nature of the job market and like, um, you've got to actually, like in class when we're talking about, I think I brought up desire and asking yourself, what is it that I want and why do I want it? And that doing that, I've tried to confront whatever desires that I brought into study, um, like professional or whatever, you really have to figure out where those longings come from. And that has been a real priority of mine. And that's kind of more, that's, it's not just internal because I think other people are what help you develop a vision for your life and for your, you know, what you want. But, um, I don't think people are as honest about that internal work that needs to happen. And this, these are not like now, this is not like abolishing the university. This is, and this is where I think this idea of I'm in and out of it takes you. It becomes this, not interior place, but it it, it is a different, they, it provokes different sets of questions that I think are different from like strategically tackling the university. And that's why I don't like the whole in of thing because then it becomes like, okay, what's my personal thing? Um, but I do think that is important when, especially when we're just lacking organization. So we gotta be doing something. <laughs> if it's not working on with each other, then it's on ourselves. I don't know. So yeah, done narrating the in of, or like convincing people of that or uh, yeah, whatever else. Which also means like, then the, there's the other side of it where people are like, I'm not a revolutionary, I'm an academic, I know it. But then they're like, like me, like, oh, revolutionary theory. So like, that has to be like, of course I'm not a revolutionary. <laughs> um, and I think more people need to be able to say that because they think they are. But at the same time, that does this weird thing of like, the same thing of critiquing university. I'm not a revolutionary, but I'm gonna do all this, all, you know, draw from this thinking and be in this conversation in a certain way. So I don't know, I guess I'm um, thinking about where I want my ideas to land, like who I actually want to read them and um, what kind of footwork, groundwork I'm willing to do for my own ideas. And to me, what that means is that there's actually just extra work 
if you do, if you do comply, and if you do consent, which I am, by being at Brown, then I think there's another part of it that's just like you have double the work to do if you want to maintain that one foot in, one foot out. So to me, it's like I cannot complain about being, I mean, I can, but, uh, but being exhausted by, yes, the machinery of the university, but then there's this set of work for me that must be done because I have consented to this other kinds of stabilizing work, work that stabilizes. Yeah, there's a whole other set of tasks that I have to do. Like I don't, for me, and this is very, this is for me. I don't just get to like relax or, so if I make one choice then it means that I'm making, I have to do work in another, not to say that like being involved and then like undoes, or you can never undo your choice to stabilize things. But that's how I'm kind of approaching this is what are the things that are on, what is the life of my work beyond the university's agenda? Mm -hmm. And what will I do? What do I have to do to make sure it has a robust life? And I think that's a whole different set of like practices and publishing standards and writing standards and like, yeah, way you use your time and what you're willing to forego in the academy, what recognition or just like, other forms of stability that the university could provide, you have to forego those to prioritize other whatever. So I guess, yeah, something I think about is like, there's the life that the work will have in the university and hopefully in the university presses and like, that's like what it is. But I've tried to be as intentional about its counter, its real life, which is as like a, something that could help free us or or not like I don't know <laughs> but I think we I realized I wasn't spending enough time thinking about where it really will live mm -hmm. and so and that's part of the academy is like you don't have time to like do that but that's the actual work so um yeah of in blah I don't know I just know that if I'm not getting critique of my project from certain people, certain communities, certain, you know, like when they were like, everyone was holding Fanon at the height of the black power movement. Like, I don't need everyone holding my book, but I want, I want the ideas to be shredded or to be elevated or to be whatever by certain people. And unless you are either in doing that work in those spaces connected to, that's not going to happen like the things drop books don't just drop down from duke university press although they're amazing and, and fall into people's hands you know so i really would want i want to have a global life too like i, I don't know so this is all not very a good answer to why am i in the academy <laughs> yes it is <laughs> And like, all I know is that I think I'm done trying to theorize my subversion or I, I think I, the older I get, the more I realize how that is. And, and like that Hartman's whole 
idea Hartman's whole thing about like who do we tell the stories for about slavery is it for us or is it for the we always say it's for the enslaved but really the practices that we have with storytelling are for ourselves the things the little like plot tricks that we do or the thing you know it's really to make ourselves feel better about what perhaps they endured is a warning that she gives and so I think that's a little lot of this theorizing of being of and in da, da, da. Um, and I just like I rather put my brain power into um, not even being in that structural, like letting people force that structural condition into oblivion. Like that, that's really what, as I wear a Columbia shirt, I never wear this shirt outside. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm saying this having gone to Columbia and Brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so I'm like, I shouldn't speak on, somebody should like, you know, just plow down my ability to like, then that's deferring it out to some outsourcing. Um, But I don't know. So I'm very mindful about like, what the hell does she have to say about this? Because she's like, (laughs) if we really take that, our structural investments create cataracts of a kind, or like, you know, they discipline desire. I mean, we're willing to say that, but we're not willing to see really how that works on ourselves. And so that's why I'm very hesitant to talk about, I don't want to hide or obscure how messed up these entanglements are, but I also don't want to like rehearse them for my own gratification. So like, I'm alerting. It's almost like they're, you're alerting people that you're like, I'm aware that this is fucked up. Like, you know, <laughs> and that, um, mm-hmm. or like when white people are like, I'm aware that being white is like, like we're fucked up. And you're like, I don't need, like, we know that. Like, so, so I'm trying to figure out what that, what, what it looks like after that. And so the kind of things I've discussed are how I'm thinking about it. But I do believe secrecy anyone that's doing anything real like there has to be a good dose of like cover to it um, so can't reveal all of my tactics but um, <laughs> there's that and then the life of the of what you're writing and and then there's like teaching mm-hmm. which to me is incredible like I, it's the um it's the single thing. Like, you know, I, the master had some pretty, you know, some of the tools aren't too bad. Like I, <laughs> like some of the tools are like, you yeah, know, I'm going to carry that. I'm going to take that. Um, and so like the university itself is like super, you know, whatever. But the teaching that I've done, the learning I've done as like a student and, and these really random collisions that can happen to me that is worth it in some respects and so yeah teaching is something that I try I try to pull that I'm only I'm only a grad student though so I'm like I don't have that much experience doing it but I imagine in my work moving forward that pulling teaching to a certain stature in your life and prioritizing it and working on it in a certain way is also how to kind of like be in the undercommons 
I feel like. Although I know in the undercommons, you don't ask questions, but like they wrote, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how that's gonna work. But, but I know the type of questions that the academic is trained to ask, you're not, you don't ask those. But um, I, in teaching, I've, we've, I've had the other real questions be asked, you know, and in these kinds of moments where we get to work together and, and things like that. So I think that there's also, teaching is how I cut through the smoke and mirrors of mm -hmm. it. Um, or how I will, if I'm in it in the future and how I've tried as a TA. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think one of the things, so there are a few different concepts from the undercommons that tie to different pieces also that have been sticking with me. And I think I've like think about your point of silence, which feels very much so like refusal and this this dynamic of refusal that they talk about. And and also I think I recently returned back to um, a Wilderson piece that we read for the reading group, the the prison slave is hegemony silent scandal, um, and how he ends talking about incoherence and like embracing incoherence. Um, and I think that also feels like it's coming. Like I'm thinking about that with everything that you said and also this like I don't want to narrate this relationship I'm done doing that which is also making me think about what this capstone podcast is doing and I, f I think that that feels like the step I think that I'm in right now and also is the step that I'm taking as I'm as I'm leaving here and trying to make sense of of these four years and and how do I feel taking the step out and why am I taking a step why am I leaving and as of right now, do not plan to come back. And yeah, and I'm, I, I think there are, two, there are two other things that I really wanna ask about, which is one in this, this life that you want your work to have outside of the academy. I'm curious what your thoughts are on accessibility or mode and medium and how you're going to share that because that's something that Winter's piece um, on how we mistook the map for the territory is brilliant there is so much going on and it is so difficult to understand it is really difficult to understand and I think coming through it the second time it was helpful already having remembering what it was about and then being able to look for those pieces mm -hmm. and saying I, I don't understand I don't get this paragraph but I'll come back and and I think is a piece that needs to be read multiple times and but if one of the things that came up with in our senior seminar and that I think about is this is brilliant, but I've been trained for four years to read very difficult pieces like this, and I'm still really struggling. So what does that mean for, what does that mean for sharing it? What does that mean for the life that it can have? And is that the responsibility of people who are trained to, to read things like this and to share it and sort of translate it, but what is lost then of, of what Winter is doing? Um, so I think that's a long way to ask about what are your thoughts on accessibility and how to communicate and what that can look like. Because I hear what you're saying and I think that that's super important and makes sense. And that feels like the thing of like, what is the actual life that the thinking that you're doing has? Yeah, no, these are brilliant yeah. questions. And I feel like online you'll see this debate fire up 
like annually about you know there's one side it's like you're not accessible and the other is like you have low standards for what you think you know people outside of the academy can do and it's always this and the way I've come down on it is like well I live in a an amazing we live in an amazing multimedia frenzy and Mm -hmm. so we think that creates a new demand on or it gives you new tools and so I actually, I have a, my, one of my best friends, brilliant, but she's like a date, she does data visualization. She has her own clothing line. She's in business school. Like she just, her mind is always moving and she's a visual artist. So that's her real like passion. Um, and I sent her this thing and I was like, I want to do like a data visualization version of the unnameable war or like a you know, so I have all of these, I'm like, it could be a film, it could be a, it could buy, you know, and so I, I actually am trying to use other forms, not only as, like, to convert the idea, but to actually build the idea, so mm-hmm. thinking about it through maps, for example, has been very helpful to me. I am, I'm, I'm in part a visual learner, um, although I heard those things, like, don't, actually aren't real but um (laughs) recently but um so I don't think I said the life the the life of the ideas or the work because I don't think it's the book I really do think it's the idea Mm -hmm. now for me writing is discovering the idea I think for many it is the actual process of creating the idea so I need to just write it so I know what I'm so I can find my idea but I actually don't think the book is like the final destination nor Mm um nor should it be like I I want to use photography and poetry and I do some performance art and And so I don't think it's just like an interest of mine. I think it's one, a response to the actual cultural environment and the technological environment we live in and how we have to really respond. I mean, we're like COINTELPRO, and then we do certain things online that don't, if you know about, we have to really change our habits. But I don't, I just think it's accelerating so quickly that it's very hard to come up with defensive postures on how to use these technologies. And so it's a whole other thing, but I do think there's a demand on us as thinkers, as writers, as creators of any kind to, um, to think beyond, for, for me, okay, I have to keep saying for me, I cannot be bound to one form. And so I'm, it's not that I'm not worried about accessibility. I'm more concerned with all of the iterations of the idea that I can create. Mm. And from there, um, picking up the question of accessibility. So I don't know, that's insufficient. That's for my own work. I guess for like difficult things, I think, I think that um, I'm also a notoriously complicated writer in some way. Like my friend was like, oh my God, you really, I have to take my time. Like, he's like, I just, you can't skim your work because then you're confused. And I was like, I, I appreciate that. Like I, there's a kind of density to my thinking and writing and stuff, but then there's also this buoyancy when I'm like more poetic. So I just think that like, 
I'm okay not understanding things. And mm-hmm. I think that that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But I do think I've always prided myself on knowing my audience until like a couple weeks ago where I was doing a presentation and it didn't land at all. It was too academic, even though it was an academic forum, it was too academic for the nature of the event. That very rarely had, I'm going to toot my own horn here, but like that, I feel like one of my skills is knowing who my audience is and translating, whether it's through like the jokes that I use or the references that I make or like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I closed my computer and Zoom is part of the problem, but I closed my computer and I was like, wow, that's what it feels like to just, like you missed the mark. This was not an intellectual exercise. This was like, people wanted to feel something. Even though I thought there was feeling in what I said, it was just different. Like it was, it, it was different. Mm-hmm. And I th- think like we don't appreciate I was glad that I encountered that um, because things need to be said differently in different spaces. And that's not easier or harder. That's literally just a question of like, what does this, what are we convening for? What, what is the emotional charge? And that's just something I was gonna say about the undercommons and the university prison as these kind of like, how do they talk about them as, expressions of one another I'm like it's very interesting like the more universities you create the more prisons you need like that's that's wow that's powerful but like the emotional experience of being in a prison the effective dimension of the institutionality versus the effective or emotional or psychological and there are certain things like walking through the gates of Columbia you know, or brown, there are these rituals that do this like scary work, but I'm sorry, if you've been in a prison, there's a, what is the emotional life of the institutionality is very important to me. Why did I bring this up? What was I talking about before then? Um, Accessibility and things. I don't know. So yeah, I guess it's about reading the emotional operations uh, and so I'm like I want to move away from effective because I think you lose like what when you use that term but yeah there are emotional demands there are social demands there are so like books don't just plop down like they you you read them in a reading group for a reason because somebody suggested it or this or that and and so I think having a hand that's what about the life boots on the ground for the life of your work is like how is it getting into people's hands if it's just your publisher, then yeah, people aren't going to understand it. But if there's this thing that's not the book tour, but it's something more important, like it's something like, hey, y'all, I'm trying to figure out. And I talk to people like, you know, I'll, I'm like, what do you think? Like, would you describe what we go through as a war? You know, that's a prompted question. But I've talked to people just like running the idea by them to see what it, you know. And so that has also made me just running it by different people with different structural positions has revealed a lot about the nature of the idea to me as well. So I think like when I talk about the life of the idea, it's more about my relationship to people. Now you can't touch every person that reads your work, but I think there's an opportunity in this moment that isn't the book tour, that isn't the plopping down into random communities either that if there's something the way you can follow your work or the life or the I keep using life but the the resources you can build around your ideas 
And then this is like a whole extra thing. This is what I said, like being a revolutionary is a lot of work. Like I get the whole anti-work critique, but I don't know, I'm Haitian. So I'm like, the relationship to work seems different when there's no work at all. Like, I don't know, you come out of a very different, <laughs> when boredom is literally killing people, boredom and hunger and all these, but there's, I don't know. So I think this is about that extra work without being the strong black woman or any of those things, but there's this like work <laughs> that has to go into, if not being completely annexed by the university, then at least maintaining that friction that we're all trying to narrate. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but then again, the university subsidizes your ability to do that extra work. So it's it's whole like, kind of, so it's still entangled. And so you have to think about that too. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I, I, I personally see with where we're going and with the resources we have, that the question of accessibility, it, to me, it's like now we're overwhelmed by information. And, and so the question of accessibility will actually have to handle that as well. That's sort of the gluttony, like the, just the, is there's so much to process. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be increasingly the battle to me, mm -hmm. not more so than accessibility, but uh, you're gonna have to think that alongside accessibility. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that is also another roundabout answer, but I, I think it's a it's important and I hold all of the critiques that people offer. I do think um, things should be studied and they need time. And I do think though that there are levels of when it is professional, professionalized language that of course, like I open, you know, when I was pregnant and reading medical journal, like I was like, <laughs> you know, I can kind of get the, so I, I try to put myself in the experience of being alienated by text as well to remember. Um, and that's when you lean on people. So reading is actually a social thing. And then, uh, so I don't know, there are no easy answers to this. Um, and I do think willful padded like language is, it is a kind of social gesture in the academy. But then I also very much believe that new language and sometimes complicated language is necessary. Um, and hopefully the work of, like you said, not of translating, but like distilling, because distilling is like that you preserve the, I don't know, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I think I remember you to preserve the most elemental part of like whatever the, the compound. <laughs> <laughs> go back to high school now um so I think about it as distillation mm. and I actually think I'm very good at that with other people like I think I know how to distill winter or Marx or Foucault or that's like one of my like mm -hmm. strengths yeah so I think distillation is a kind of thing that is valuable and is okay to have to do mm. um but I do think we need to be wary of the way we're meant to gesture towards either expertise or like knowledge of the field or you know these things that you have to do um yeah <laughs> yeah and I think that that the the distinction that you're drawing feels like the difference in so we read Discourse on Colonialism by Hall this semester and that the difference between the way that Hall takes us through what is discourse? How is this working? 
so that we actually understand the terms and not expecting that you come with this as opposed to sometimes there's a lot of academic stuff that feels like it's like a club that I'm not part of, even though I've been technically part of the club for four years where it's like, oh, I mean, you know, I'm, I haven't read nearly as much like Fanon or Foucault as I probably should have or would like to, or people that are mentioned a lot that's like, actually I haven't encountered and I haven't had time to do on my own. Um, and so it's like, oh, well, I'm pulling this and this and this, but I'm not going to explain at all what those are. I'm just going to say them. And it's pulling on this whole back end of knowledge, which can be really cool when you know it and you're like, oh, I get what you're doing. But when you don't, then it's like, what's like, so I think the distilling also feels, feels like what is so important there. And, and that that doesn't contradict complicated language and complicated ideas. And I also love the, the different, like the distinction that you make between the book and the idea and, and wanting to have different modes of the idea because that feels exciting and that it does build. It's not that, and I don't believe this, but I think something that can happen in the university is like poetry is not the simpler form of it. Um, or a, a film, like you mentioned, is not a simpler form of it. A song is not a simpler form of the idea. It can be more complex and more interesting where it builds and it's differently communicated and it hits in a different way. And and the emotional life that it has. Um, yeah. So I just exactly. like, I yeah. love that, that it's not more or less complicated. Like it is a different, like, mm, mm, I don't know what it is, but it is like, so I'm thinking about like, what does it mean to perform the unnameable war? And so I was talking to one of my artist friends and we were thinking about doing this piece where we read all of the things from the Sally, which is that, uh, ledger from Brown, the slave the Brown family for the voyage that the Sally took. They have the book and it has all of the, so we're thinking about doing some kind of like long durée thing about reading the, like, you know, we're thinking about it, but it was, it's just a different way of asking the question of like, if we are in an unnameable war, how are our bodies impacted? So it's like one dimension. And that's what the him and I thinking about that performance art piece does that. And then I don't know, with the data visualization or the mapping, mm -hmm. it's a different, it's the aerial view. That's also another like important thing is about spatial arrangement is something I'm trying to understand in the project. So I literally need to create <laughs> the ability to navigate space so I can use digital platforms to, to like to create that visual element that really brings home the project. I don't know. So the, it's like, I actually cannot do the project without these other modes. They are not, I'm not falling back on them. I'm not, um, they, tell me, they tell me what they, they are the thinking. Like, I don't know, it's, I need, mm -hmm. I need better language for all of this, but, and I think that that doesn't, it's like, to me, data visualization is so interesting because it's this, it's this like, um, Denise Ferrer de Silver says that like things have like a virtual, I mean, lots of people say this, but like a virtual existence and then their actual existence. And she's really interested in like, that virtual, you know what, this is getting way too like meta, so let me just stop, but like I, <laughs> I, um, 
yeah, I think that we're going to have a really big reckoning. So we have this whole like digital humanities thing. And if you look at the projects, I mean, it's really some, it's some incredible <laughs> stuff that people have put together that has the fact that we can watch ships on our screen for the slave, the transatlantic slave data trade database thing where you can, they animate and you like that is an arrival at a accumulation of knowledge to me that when I see that reflected back at me and the distance between those who are in the hold and then I can visually watch each, not each, cause I'm sure we've lost records, but there's, there's some kind of reckoning our revolutionary thinking will have to have with, with form mm. at some point that I feel is coming because yeah, it comes back to this, like the books, the book, the, like everything, just the production of so many things. And then I, I'm a hoarder. So I have a thousand million kabillion tabs of like, okay, sorry. I really am rambling, but I think there's some kind of reckoning around the endless production of ideas mm -hmm. <laughs> and where they will live and how they will live. Um, and I think you know, every generation's like, it's the end of the book and that will never happen. I love like books, like what? But I do think there's, um, I think the far right also like understands that in a way, uh, the way they, and I mean, we mobilize memes powerfully too, but there's just something about um, how we share ideas. Like if the panel is not on its deathbed by now, like I like <laughs> just like, don't know, you know, like, like oh, another panel and someone dies. And it's like, that's another day in the office. Like we cannot do that. Like, but then we, we don't, I don't have, I don't have any other proposals. So it's not something that any one of us can come up with, but I, I do think there's something about um, what we ask our ideas to do uh, and the, the risks we're willing to take to follow the ideas that is going to matter so much in, 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 in what we're about to confront. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just sitting with that. And I think um, sitting with that, like what are the, the risks that we have to take with our ideas? Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think my, my brain kind of always comes back to here, but feels like it's coming back to like, what is the risk of the risks of our ideas and like actually, actually trying to make this world, like actually pursuing abolitionist world making, tearing this shit down yeah. and, and building something new. And um, that's something I love that Jack Halberstam talks about in the the intro of you know, we're going to start to get there. And then actually, once we get there, what we want is going to change. Exactly. And we're going to see new things. And that, that, yeah. That like being on the fly yeah. is so, I feel like not, because I mean, we're up against the incumbents for a shorthand. And so <laughs> we see in a political election, how incumbency you know, or home field advantage if you want things sports. But like, I mean, we are up against incumbency. So we never, 
they get to innovate in a way that is very difficult in the hold, so to speak. Not that innovation is impossible, but the way our relationship to like the death dealing, it creates a situation where it's hard to anticipate things. Like we're in a place where we can't, I mean, we see them, but we can't cut them off. I feel like is that word. Mm-hmm. Um, so why did I bring that up? Uh, <laughs> so let's see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, something that I've been dealing with is I want to be honest. And I think this relates to what we materially like go after is being honest about how dangerous all of this really is, is another thing as I age a little bit that becomes more and more central to how I, I speak and what I support and whatever else. And I think the more honest we can be about how fundamentally dangerous it is to have these ideas, to pursue relationships with people on the inside or even with each other. I mean, it's dangerous and dark work. And we have Panthers, like there's this whole resurgence in the scholarship on the Panthers and you have people dying in prison every day. Literally, <laughs> there's another Panther, another Panther. That disconnect scares me. And I, th- I think we need a great dose of honesty about what it requires and I think as a Haitian person that's always very clear to me (laughs) because armed revolt is like a a huge part obviously of the country's story but what people forget is like the afterlife how Haiti becomes this militarized state because it comes out of a revolution and that militarization gets turned, imposed internally. And so Haiti is always willing to burn itself down to get to the next source of freedom or refuge, which is more likely what it is. It's a a sanctuary, a structural sanctuary as things, because inevitably, you know, the imperial force comes again and like, but Haiti more so to me than any other place burns itself down literally over and over and over again so what Haiti is like is what revolutionary like you know Fanon says decolonization is the flight of capital meaning you don't have nothing like you don't get (laughs) you don't have stuff you don't have food you don't have resources you have many funerals like this is something that Dr. James is like you know, when we, the state is killing us, but we bait the state. Are you ready for that? Not that we even need to bait the state, but when you confront the state, are you ready for that explosion in funerals? If you think they're bad now, like when you really, you know, so I think something that has meant a lot to me, or even using like the word insurrection, right? 
We use it a lot in the academy. And then all of a sudden it had a public life with the storming of the Capitol, where it was like insurrection bad, um, which was like a whole thing that we need to be careful because they're also trying to back us into a corner where we say, oh, remember when you were saying insurrection is bad? But then it, what it revealed to me, I'm like, don't play with that word, Felicia. Like, don't play. Everything is insurrection this or insurrectionary that. And, and I'm like, that's what insurrection looks like. It actually looks like, you know, well, obviously ours would be for a better future, but like the confrontation with the police, deaths, all of these things, the feeling of it, you know, like that's, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the insurgence of like the metaphor, which is like beautiful. And I'm like, I do that too. But that moment in January, I was like, you know what, like, we play around too much. That's quite frankly what I feel like we play around too much about what a revolution is or even, you know, falling short of a revolution, but what real like confrontation and conflict and antagonism looks like and then who bears the brunt of that. So something that I think could be helpful as we move forward is being honest about um, who would be taking the lickings and like who would be experiencing the violent and like what would it mean to live in sustained violence and these are all things that war like helps you think about um and like and then in the case of haiti like what what you don't want to be part of yours i'm interested in founding violences and then what winter would call the founding heresies that accompany them but i was like founding heresies interesting but what is that so it's the founding violence that is. And so part of the Haitian state's founding violence, you know, is obviously slavery, but then it's this revolutionary militarism. And so, yeah, I think one of my worries about where we are is that, and this is beyond like hashtag activism or like activists as a profession, there's something inadequate about how we think about real re like real resistance like even with slavery I'm like do you understand what it's like to cut someone's throat like or like not that I do but like you know or to be put into that position like this is like the thing that but it, that's safe ground or like the Haitian revolution is safe ground and I'm like bro like we the children of Haiti are still dealing I feel like with like the, what's been passed down um because in the constitution to be a good Haitian is to be a good soldier. You know, like that is intense. And so there's something also about my work where I'm trying to be honest beyond the like, I'm not a revolutionary, but yeah, I, I don't wanna misrepresent ever how much it takes to do any of the things that we write about or, mm the consequences and the fallout and the people that get left behind, the people disappeared from history. The pe like we do that to each other too. Like, and the more Panther like rallying things I attend, not just Panthers, but the Black Liberation Army, like the, the more, you know, like there was this example, um, what's his name? Oh Maroon Shabazz, I think is his name. Um, and so they had like this webinar and he, he talked about like trying to escape from prison in the seventies. Um, and he was like in the woods for like a month. And so that's where he got the name Maroon. 
because they were like, bro, like when they brought him back to prison, like you were like a real maroon, like you're surviving. And, and so he, that meant a lot to him. And so I think it's funny how like there's this turn kind of in Black studies where it's like, well, marinage is still caught up in unfreedom because you respond true, good, important. We don't want to romanticize. But here's a real life maroon in our generation. Like this is a real maroon. This is somebody that actually went into the woods and for and was escaping from prison, not like society, like prison. And 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 so and he's talking about they show like I think they recorded him or maybe it was written quotes that they put on the screen, but he's talking about marinage and theorizing it. And so I was like, that's that like disconnect that I'm talking about, where like we'll talk about marinage from slavery and then have this very robust and sophisticated account of it. But we still have people that believe in it as a modality right now that were in the seventies and, and now, but that we're practicing it. So there's this just like, um, I mean, I think there's this like thing that happens even when there's like 500 years between us and the moment in the moment where um, like, you're not a pre, like you don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't know. And how am I to say you don't understand, but there's something that to me feels like we're not witnessing or not understanding the full weight of these things. And I do think that comes from intergenerational. And then, you know what, there's maybe some people that are like, girl, I don't know what you're talking about. I understand, you know, but I think that, um, I think collectively. Mm-hmm. And when you get serious about that, when you get serious about your conversation about violence, what you're actually willing to like subject yourself to, but also, what it means in your own program that's different that can't happen on twitter necessarily and that and you know i'm and i love twitter so but there's just certain kinds of um yeah i there's like this emotional thing because the more i talk about our experience as a war the more i realize how scary our experience is and like not that i never you know i've always appreciated magnitude but then the concept of war to me it really does shift how you imagine yourself as part of something because then it's like would you say that you're do you want to be part of a war you know like and that's that's what black resistance that's what I'm saying it it is actually going to war in a certain way and I don't think we hold like I don't think we that's part of that base building I want to do because if that's the case then like wow and then nonviolence becomes a very interesting tactic in this context and but I just think that I feel that there's something about the darkness of um of all of this that I in myself was like not appreciating because you feel empowered and you feel like, and then there's this habit of this language of insurgent. It's a very martial language that we have in the, and then I started to realize like, no, actually insurgents means you have to see people getting their head bashed in by a, a, a fire hydrant, you know, like, and so what is your responsibility when you're talking about that? This is such a long way to answer your question. But so I think that um, to really get at that abolition, to really 
round out all of the things that we got going on. Because we do, I think we have so many great, like just there's so many lines of thought and, and things going on. And I think that underbelly just needs to be like attended to a little bit more, which is like when you ask people to step into or to recognize the violence that they live within on intellectual terms, not just like the experience in their body or these are huge invitations. And they're, and if you really want to, res there has to be respect for that, putting out that invitation. And I think in my own work, I saw I didn't have that. I didn't, I, I think becoming a parent made me a little bit more attuned to what I ask people to do. And I don't know if enough of our work, half the work doesn't care because it's just like trying to satisfy. But then there's like an, the work that's really great. I think it does need to ask itself that question. Mm -hmm. um, and we always, it's always like the solution that cannot be named, like arm revolt is something, it's like this weird like thing. And I'm like, there are people that took that solution though and they're in jail pretty much. And so I think there's like just a lot of, um, we, dis we disappear our own people in a lot of ways and our work can do that too. And so I think that, um, yeah, that something, something about what's come before us that's done mm -hmm. what we all purportedly want to do, like needs to be attended to and, mm -hmm. um, or else I feel like we're stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Because like the people that survived to tell us about the Black Power era are not necessarily the people that were practicing Black Power in a certain way. So like the people that live to tell the story, well, why did you live to tell the story? Mm -hmm. And that conundrum is so important because I think it's why we always how we kind of reestablish the same the terms of the problem mm -hmm. um, because you survived because one you know well I don't know we all survived for a number of reasons but this me being able to use the gains that the Black Power Civil Rights Movement consolidated in the seventies how do I account for yeah all of that mm -hmm. so like who survives. Yeah. And who tells the story among us? So there's like the whole story that all the white people that survived tell. But then there's like among us. Um, it's like the people that didn't choose Black Power get to narrate Black Power. Mm. And in this moment, it might be like me. Like I did not choose to, um, you know, there's lots of little revolutionary cadres I feel like that popped up or that like reasserted themselves since George Floyd and the uprisings. And I hope someone can, someone may be able to look back and say like, you, you get to narrate because you weren't doing like this, a certain kind of survival or something. I don't know. So I'm just thinking about like those dynamics um, that allow certain people to surface and, and like really beyond just like a, you know, middle-class people get to, or there's something even at the most radical like levels of this stuff where, yeah, I don't know. If, if we all have to be on the same page about what sacrifice looks like and what, and these are things that happen in organizing communities, I feel like, and mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I know that you have a meeting in a minute. So <laughs> thank you so much um, for talking to me, for sharing all of your thoughts, for going in all of these directions. And I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be just, just thinking. Um, yeah, and like, and for thinking with me and talking with me and being part of this, um, I could talk to you forever. Like, I really enjoy this, and I'm also like looking forward to, to like continue like talking and being come. Like, yeah, that like, yeah, I graduate but still live here, and uh, yeah, that's great. Of course, um, uh. I hope I'm only here to next year, but <laughs> I have to like get out of here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think like let's talk forever. You know, <laughs> I think when the students graduate and you get to like have a different like relationship with people, and that's also really cool. And mm -hmm. another thing about the teaching that I love. Um, but this is this is great because like you know I'm always like asking these questions, but it's different when you and they're like the diplomatic answers that I have or the like safer answers that I have that I really wanted to try to like think about the questions that you're posing because they're very wonderful and um and just more i'm like the more i know the less i know that whole socratic dilemma and that's mm -hmm. also part of this like stepping back thing that we talked about last week or mm -hmm. it's like i feel less compelled to have an answer for everything or an account for everything and um mm -hmm. and just like i have a lot of anecdotes so <laughs> So I've used this. Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you so much.